Welcome to Anything But Routine. Today, before we start the podcast, we want to talk about digital dance. We have videos from dance experts from all over the world. Start your seven-day free trial at digitaldanceinstruction.com. Today on the podcast, Cindy talks about making the most out of your dance classes. Enjoy the podcast. This segment is called Fill the Hour, and I taught this class in New York City, and it was very popular, so I thought, oh, I'll just do a little video on it. And basically, it is how to take your hour class or your two-hour practice and maximize what your students are getting from you in that time. And if you were to, like, for instance, if you're at a studio and they pay so much a month, so it divides into the hours, try to figure out what they're paying a minute for you to teach them and make sure that every minute counts. I started teaching kind of backwards, hate to say that, but I was never technically taught as a child. I was a baton twirler. And then for some reason I could choreograph. So my business and expertise started by kind of a gift I had to choreograph. And then I learned everything after I was already teaching. And so, which is very unusual. And every person I've come into contact to with, I've tried to absorb as much from them as I could. And our ballet teacher that I've kind of partnered with, he's so technical that it's awesome. So the two of us together kind of make a nice combo. It wasn't until my daughter was in ballet and I sat through her weekly classes that a light bulb went off for me. And I had been teaching already for many, many years. And I was teaching drill team, not you know, technical dance. And I would sit and write down her bar and I would learn her bar. Well, pretty soon I was taking ballet and I, I was asking tips on this and that. And I was the one that taught choreography to everybody, but I had to absorb the technique from everyone around me. And just remember this, that every teacher you meet will teach you something. So keep those ears open and try to absorb from all the people you're with. Be a sponge, because one of the things I've learned at conferences is most people like to talk about themselves. Try to not be one of those people, but instead be a listener and you will go home from a convention with a lot more knowledge. Try to not be so full of yourself that you can't see the other side to anything. Like the, the, there was a, a huge rage on my Unite Dance Coaches Unite Facebook, Dance Teachers and Coaches Unite, and I had commented on Hiplet, and it was like people doing hip-hop on ballet shoes and I seriously was brushing my teeth that day and really I just went cute or lake or something and oh my gosh everybody's like this is not real dance this is a and it was like oh wait I was really not even paying attention but I do think so many people are so full of what they're thinking that they are not open to trying anything else something to think about is the culture that you have regarding like if you're a studio owner and you're your parents and your students, remember they're your clients. Sometimes I, I read stuff online where I'm like, whoa, they've got to remember these people are their clients. And yes, there's a line that parents can cross. That's a whole separate hour of discussion. But um, just remember they're your clients and they're paying you for your service. And you have to remember that with all that you deliver. So remember, you're, you're paid to serve them, not the other way around. So one of my goals as a, a teacher is to really teach more than just dance. I want to teach vocabulary. I want to teach um, 
you know, all the behind the scenes things about dance, like sometimes the history of dance and that type of thing. So something to think about is a vocabulary word of the week or the day or whatever. And I always tell, you know, even when I'm teaching preschool, this is French, now you're learning French. So the parents are like, whoa, wee wee, she's learning French, that's great. Um, I had to laugh that on one of our blogs that we did where we were teaching turns in the second position, a la Sacone turns, a kid wrote in and said, when you're doing Alice Sacone, like it was a person's name, I'm like, oh my, someone hasn't done their due diligence teaching this child. So remember that you're also teaching those types of things as well. So try to create the concept so much to do in so little time. I do this at both my high school practices and at the studio. And I know I had two dancers that were sisters move over from another studio and their mom was kind of outspoken and they had moved from another studio across town to ours and she came out and she goes, you people get more done in two weeks than they get done in an entire year over at that other place. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. You know, because we try to really push our kids and Sometimes I think because teachers are not prepared, they just stretch things out to fill the hour that way rather than filling the hour jam-packed. So choreography would be one thing to think about is if you're teaching choreography, if you have it done, teach it a lot faster than if you do not have it done. Case in point. So think about that. Do you go into class every day with the section that you're going to teach prepared? And a lot of times I try to have the whole dance done, at least mapped out, so that then I can, and I do a lot on the fly too, obviously, but but I wanna have a plan so that I push faster. I know at camp we teach dances at first camp, the second camp, and the third camp. By the third camp, we're teaching way faster than at the first camp, because we know it better. So think about that with your prep, that the more you go and prepare, the better you are going to teach. So think about over over delivering. One of the ways that I try to have my class be maximized with, with being able to move fast is I have an assistant most of the time. You don't just need a warm body. You need somebody that's gonna really help you. How do you get someone to help you? First of all, you have to tell them what to do. I actually have a handout that you can download after this on on things to tell your assistant to do and what you want her to do and what's okay and what's not okay. And there's also a, a review that you could use to review your assistant so that you can have an avenue to tell her how to do better. It's a lot easier to tell them ahead of time what you want and your expectations. So when I meet with our assistants before the season starts, I talk a lot about expectations, what they should wear, how they should talk to the kids, what is okay and what is not okay. Um, I really don't like to be interrupted a lot when I'm teaching, but I like them to do a lot of nonverbal teaching. Like if I, if so, and, and I want them to be perceptive enough, if this girl over here is not getting it or this boy over here is not getting it, they'll move to that spot. I don't need someone standing right next to me. I need someone in the places where I need it, maybe between the lines if I have multiple lines. I also want them to know that they can turn the music off for me, turn it on for me, they should be perceptive with it, they should know where stuff is in the music so when we hit the circle it's here, when we hit the, so if we're going back and working on things. Um, if we're teaching preschool they should know my playlist backward and forward and know where all the activities are and what they're called and what, you know, so they can help and it, teach the class with me so if I step out they can keep it going. When I was a little kid, everything moved too slow for me. And nowadays, things move way too slow for kids. They're used to instant everything. They have phones, they, you know. So teaching has to be fast. 
They are bored if you're not going fast. And everyone always says, what do you do if kids are talking? And I'm, I'm like, speed up, speed up, because they're bored. That's why they're talking, they're bored. So think about, um, one of the things I do when I'm teaching is I repeat, 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 rather than just, you know, okay, so I'm teaching an eight count, five, six, seven, eight, it's one, to be descriptive, four, five, six, seven, eight, five, six, let's do it slower, one, they need to repeat it like four times or five times in a row, you don't have to ask in between, do you want to do it again? Do you care if they want to do it again? They're going to do it again, right? So don't ask questions that you don't want to hear the answer to, and use, fill in the gaps with activity and make them move faster. One way to engage students is with analogies. So if that you can use something so descriptive that they can imagine what you're saying. Like if you're wanting them to tighten their core, ask them to hold a grape in their navel or, navel or a marble and not let it fall out. That gets them to understand how to squeeze. If you want their neck long, pretend they have long earrings on and they have to keep them away from their neck. So they push their shoulders down and pull their, pull their neck and head up. Um, muscles, I like to talk about Warm muscles being like, have you ever chewed a piece of gum and let's say you stuck it on the dash of your car in the summer, a piece of gum that was already chewed, it would just get sticky and stretchy. And think about warm muscles in that regard. They're much stretchier. Now take that same piece of gum, put it in the freezer, it's going to just break in half. And I use that analogy, especially for kids when they uh, don't understand, you got to keep your muscles warm. You have to get warm before you work out. Uh, and, and it's just any analogy like that can help them like put flashlights on their hips and then they can see if they're tipping up or if they're straightforward if they're balanced you could use a belt for that my teachers she was on the University of Minnesota dance team and she said that they were taught so to keep their muscles so engaged all the time that it just became a habit to keep everything engaged and one night she was lying in bed and went oh my gosh I'm still engaged I can relax now I'm going to sleep I thought that was very funny I mean I use everything we were last week telling our little first graders and usually I wouldn't go this young with this but we we're like trying to get them to engage their their glutes their butt muscles and one of our teachers said well pretend you have a piece of paper um, right there you know between your butt crack or whatever and I had to go out to the parents and say if your daughter comes home and says that we told her to we did it's true it was a very funny moment so I just talked about going out and talk to the parents and communicating Communication is so important with your kids and your parents. You have to tell your kids why you're doing what you're doing so they understand why they're working so hard, but there is a method to your madness. And you also have to explain to your parents why you're doing what you're doing. I oftentimes have parents come in, especially of younger children, at the end of class, and, and I'm like, the reason we're repeating this so much is here's what they have to pick up, and here's why I want their leg turned out, and here's the, you know, go over all that, and it really helps. Also, you can get parents to think what you want them to think. Kind of tell them what they need to think. Uh, I know when I was very, very young, I sold Mary Kay for a brief stint of six months, and I... I learned a lot from that because one of the things they did was tell you to you know, touch your face and see how soft it feels. Doesn't it feel soft? And everyone's like, yes. You know, so it's basically like, aren't I a good teacher? Yes, you are. So make sure you're telling them what you want them to think. And also communicate with your parents anything that has gone wrong or has gone well because they need to know where you're coming from. So now let's get down to the nuts and bolts, kind of the organizational side of it. 
playlists are important. You should have your playlist so organized that it goes your technique songs, maybe your ballet, and I label them like so I know if I want to do Shanae's across the floor, I don't have to try six songs to find the right speed. It says Shanae, even if it's got a different name, I have changed it. Or if I want to do this or that, I label my songs, put them in playlists by age group and by what I what they are. And get rid of versions that don't work, throw them in your trash so that they're not clogging you up. So just think about how much time do you waste looking for music. And remember, we're talking about how much a minute costs in your class. And that's also when you lose the attention of your kids. So something to think about there is if by chance someday you aren't organized, oh my. You know, then have your assistant step in so that something keeps going while you're looking for music. So getting your kids to line up quickly and and thinking of ways to make that happen. One of the ways is you don't wait for them to do it. You just start. And I know one day I used this example because one of our teachers, her name is Marnie, and she was um, it was for a service day to all veterans and firefighters and policemen, and they were doing a citywide celebration and all these grade school children were on the football field and that one of the teachers was on the mic going line up kids get in single file lines line up line up and finally Marnie just goes can I just start and the teacher goes okay go ahead and she took the mic and goes all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna start in lines I need you to get in your line fast here we go boom and start you don't wait for the kids to line up. They're never gonna line up. You just go and create ways to make them wanna line up fast. There'll be a sheet on this that you can download on how to get your kids to line up quickly with several different ideas. One is to pop your cheeks until the air is out and then they have to get in there um, on their line. And quietly to your spot, pretend you have marshmallows in your mouth and marshmallows on your to- under your toes so you're very quiet to line up. Another thing I do is a countdown. I'll go 10. Nine, and I do it really fast, so they have to be there by the time they get there. Then cover your eyes. I do this with preschool. How can, and I kind of use the Eeyore voice. I bet nobody can get lined up. I bet without me helping, nobody's gonna get lined up. Oh no, I know it's not gonna happen. And then when they do it, my assistants are obviously helping the little three-year-olds or whatever, and when they do it, I just go nuts. How did you do this without me? And they squeal and love it, so that's a fun one. Um, You can do things like, have a song like, um, vanilla ice all right stop and they have to yell collaborate and listen and then there you could sing a song for each age they could have a song and by the time the song is over they have to make it to their spot and sometimes I can use the jeopardy thing do 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 and they have to be there or use a different piece of music like ESPN's da 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 you just put it on and they know oh I better line up fast so I know my daughter is hilarious in that she talks in accents and she, I, I wish she was here to do it for you, but she's so funny. She'll be talking in this um, English or Romanian or Spanish accent and get the kids, you better line up or I'm not going to be able to start. And, you know, sometimes being funny like that will help. You can also use a timer, the 10-second timer that buzzes. So there's a few ideas to get them to line up. I typically don't do any of them. I typically do the countdown for the little kids, and that's about it. I just start. So getting kids to listen, a lot of it is your tone of voice. You know, I can walk in the room when I have a couple other assistants doing things, and I'll and if it's utter pandemonium and I walk in, I can get them to quiet down in seconds. But it's your tone of voice, and it's your command, and the respect they have for you. So you continually have to be working on that. If it's not working for you, videotape yourself and find out what you're doing wrong. Somebody might tell you one simple solution 
to do to get kids to listen. I know one of our local staff was having trouble controlling her class, and I went and watched it, and I said, oh, I figured out what you're doing already. And what she was doing is if little Susie asked a question, she was so kind and so nice that she would devote all her attention to little Susie and answer her question. Meanwhile, back at the class, they were all not listening. So you'd be smarter to go, Susie had a good question. I'm going to cover that with all of you. Here we go. Rather than ever stopping and devoting it to that one kid. You're one-on-one. You have to take private lessons. Otherwise, it's going to be all of us together. So make sure that you evaluate yourself in that way. Okay, so say your class is really loud. One particular day, I had a really loud K and first grade class. They're kind of bouncing off the walls. So I just told them, you know, girls, I'm going to tell you this story. I was just at a competition last week, and there was a girl at the competition who was deaf. And it was the most touching thing I ever saw. She was dancing out on the floor, and apparently she can just feel them and is able to dance to the music from the vibrations. And I just said, can you imagine how hard that is to learn without being able to hear? And since they were so noisy, I go, let's just try that today. So I'm going to pretend that I can't speak and that you can't. You have to do it all by sign language. So I was doing things like... You know, and I was showing them, pointed to the bar and showed them what I wanted to do. And they did it, and they were quiet, and we got so much done. The next week, they're like, can we do that quiet thing again? And I'm like, yes, we can, for sure, easy. So sometimes, instead of getting louder, get quieter. I even do that with my high school team. When they're loud, I start talking softer, because then they have to listen and perk up, or they're going to miss something. And that's the other thing is, go especially with older kids, so fast that if they're not listening, they're missing it. And they better be listening or they're going to miss it. The speed at which you work will get kids to be forced to listen or they're going to think they're going to miss something. So your tone of your voice, commanding respect, it might be your shoulders. Sometimes being a little scary is a good thing, especially at the beginning of the year. And I feel it out for which age group you're with. But you want to command a little respect so they don't think they can goof off with you. If you let them get out of hand, then then it just explodes. So you have to be kind of um, strict in your class. Fun, but strict. There is a way to be fun and strict. I do a thing if I have a problem child where I put one finger up if, they, if they're kind of pushing it. If I put two up if they are been warned once and now, come on. And if they get to three, that means they have to go out of the room, and that's not a good thing. And then I talk to their mom. So they know we have that three-finger method, and I'm just like, one, I'm not being mean to them, two, three. And it works pretty good. So think about your posture. You will command respect by how you stand, your tone of voice, and hopefully it will go good for you. Thanks for listening to Anything But Routine. If you like the podcast, hit subscribe. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify. Spotify. 